0: Search for Slaycation on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome to Twisted News, where we'll cover two strange and scary stories currently happening in our world. I'm Andrew Fitzgerald, and thank you guys for tuning in. For today's episode, we're going to take you back four decades as we search for a suspect in a series of very violent crimes that all went cold. Recently, however, a suspect has been named. We'll also dig down into the basement of a highly unlikely suspect, had something that no one should have hidden below their home. If you're new here, or you're an avid listener to our podcast, please make sure that you also check out our YouTube channel called Scary Mysteries. All these episodes that you're listening to are accompanied by amazing visuals for your viewing pleasure. Make sure that you subscribe and hit on the notification bell when you're over there so you know when our new content is dropped. But for now... Sit back and try to relax as you listen to this week's episode of Scary Mysteries Twisted News. Number 1. Four Cold Case Murders Find Suspect Cold cases are some of the most difficult to handle and even talk about. There are usually no leads, no updates, and most especially, no closure in these situations. Investigators never get to solve the crime the families of the victims never get the answers as to why they lost their loved ones. And this is why people involved in these cases grasp at almost any plausible clues or evidence out there that might help solve them. The cold cases in this story were initially considered unrelated crimes until the investigators found one critical lead that tied them all together, the DNA of the elusive suspect. That DNA belonged to a man named Joe Irvin, who was incarcerated for shooting a police officer back in 1981 at the age of 30. But going back a couple years before then, on the morning of December 7, 1978, 33-year-old Madeline Fury Lavadias was in her room on Poplar Street in Denver, Colorado with her two children when somebody knocked at the door. It was Irvin who was there to confront her over something. And when Madeline answered the door, he forced his way inside and viciously stabbed her to death. His second victim was identified as 53-year-old Dolores Barajas, who worked at a downtown hotel in Denver during the summer of 1980. She was simply on her way to work on August 10th of that year, when Irvin attacked her, also stabbing her to death. Her body was found at 500 East 17th Avenue in Denver. And what would have been her last day of work before she took a vacation, tragically became the last day of her life. Then, 27-year-old Gwendolyn Harris was found stabbed to death on Christmas Eve of 1980 at the corner of Andrews Drive and East 47th Avenue in Denver. It was later revealed that Irvin lived just about a block away from that crime scene during the time she would later be named as the third victim, which officially now made Irvin a serial killer. Just a month later, another stabbing victim would also be later identified as Irvin's fourth killing. Seventeen-year-old Antoinette Parks was found dead in Adams County, east of Denver, on the 24th of January 1981. She was the only one to have been killed outside of Denver, and during the time of the killing, Antoinette was found to be six to seven months pregnant. Five months later, Irvin was stopped by Aurora police officer, 26-year-old Deborah Kaur, over a simple traffic violation. During this encounter, a scuffle broke out, and Irvin was in the process of being handcuffed when he snatched the officer's gun and shot her to death. He also shot at a 19-year-old concerned passerby who luckily survived that shooting. But he managed to escape, though he was later arrested at his house, attempting to remove the handcuffs with a saw at the time. So, on July 7, 1981, while incarcerated and awaiting trial, Irvin then committed suicide. For years, no one thought the cases were related and that the unknown killer was still at large. Irvin was also never considered by the police as a possible suspect for any of the four stabbing incidents. But a breakthrough started to happen when, in 2009, a detective from Adams County reviewed the items in Antoinette's case and collected possible DNA evidence and some of the personal effects found at the crime scene. In 2011, after reviewing the DNA swabs done two years prior, an unidentified male's DNA was discovered. This was later used to link Antonette's case to the other three cold cases. In 2019, a possible hit on the genetic genealogy of the unidentified DNA evidence led authorities to an ancestry link to someone in Texas. After further investigation, the authorities were able to partially link the DNA evidence to a possible biological relative of the suspect. Now, very recently, on January 28, 2022, the authorities finally announced that they had identified the serial killer to be Irvin. The DNA evidence perfectly matched the extracted DNA of Irvin's exhumed remains. For the victims' families, the discovery was a bittersweet ending to their decades-long wait for closure. They finally knew who did it, although he wouldn't be tried for his crimes, It probably felt anticlimactic, but hopefully the families of Madeline, Dolores, Gwendolyn, and Antoinette can finally look back and feel that justice has already been served. Number 2. People Hidden in Pastor's Basement In most suburban houses, basements are either used for storage or as an office or recreational room. However, in one house in Georgia, the basement was used to hide something that completely shocked the local authorities. On January 13, 2022, at around 6 a.m., the local emergency response unit in Griffin responded to a call that came from the house located at 102 Valley Road. According to the caller, the person in distress was having a seizure, and upon arriving, The responders were led to a basement door that had been locked with a deadbolt. They weren't able to open it, so they resorted to climbing through the window to be able to assist the patient in need. What they found inside, though, proved to be disturbing. The team immediately contacted the police and reported the secret in the house, as the basement housed a total of 8 mentally and or physically disabled patients. With their ages ranging between 25 to 65. It's still unclear whether that bolted basement actually served as a sanctuary or a prison for these patients. Upon investigations, it was discovered that the house was rented by a couple 55 year old Curtis Bankston and 56 year old Sophia Bankston, both of whom were identified as the caretakers of the patients down in the basement. Curtis was a self proclaimed pastor of the One Step of Faith Second Chance Ministries, which, according to documents, was located at the rented house. The couple had been renting the home for about 14 months when the rescue happened. And according to police, it was Curtis's idea to lock the patients down in the basement, which was supported by his wife. The disabled individuals will be locked down there at certain times of the day restricting them from being able to leave the house whenever they wanted. Having a deadbolt in the basement also proved dangerous for the patients, especially during emergencies, as proven by what happened that led to their rescue and the arrest of the couple. Authorities also added that Curtis and Sophia took advantage of the disabled residents by managing their finances and enjoying their public benefits without properly providing for their medical needs. The authorities believe that the couple didn't always provide the medications the patients needed. However, the couple strongly denied all these allegations. Curtis was arrested on the 14th of January, followed by the arrest of his wife on the 20th for the charges of false imprisonment. The investigators believe that the patients were held against their will by the Bankstons to take advantage of them financially. According to Curtis and his lawyer, Dexter Wimbish, the alleged church operated as a Christian ministry that Curtis led and not as a group home. Its function was to serve as a temporary home for those who needed shelter, not to imprison them. They also clarified that one of the residents actually had a key to the basement, but was away when the emergency responders arrived. In a press conference held on the day Sophia was arrested, the couple maintained their innocence and sincerity in helping the needy. As for the disabled individuals, it was later announced that five of the eight patients were now considered wards of the state. All of them are currently residing in proper alternative housing assigned by the Department of Human Services and are receiving proper care and assistance. Every home has a secret hidden in the basement or the attic or perhaps even in the living room. It's almost a guarantee that even your own house has its secrets too, one so dark that they may have yet to be uncovered. So those are two of the latest scary news stories around. If you guys enjoyed these, then please check out our other episodes and watch out for new ones coming out every single week. We also invite you to listen to our podcast, Every Town where we dig deeper into some of the scariest true crime stories in the U.S. Thank you once again for tuning in. I'll see you soon.